oh Lord help us oh God to run this race each day with all our hearts Lord as you said no man that puts his hands to the plow that looks back is fit or worthy worthy of who you are and of your kingdom Lord so father help us to keep our hands on the plow and keep going forward each day despite what we hear on the news despite what goes on in our city despite what is around us help us oh Lord that one day we will hear those glorious words well done thou good and faithful servant we give you praise in Jesus name somebody's got to shout amen Amen, everyone. Blessings to all of you. You may be seated. God bless you. Let's say thanks to Pastor Josh. He always does such a great job, you know. Amen. We love him. Appreciate him. Well, God bless you, everyone. How are we all doing today? Are we okay? Doing fine? Good. That's good. That's good. Well, I want to welcome all of those on Facebook and YouTube as we continuing our series in the book of Joshua and what a series it is so many life lessons so many things that we are learning uh, Carlton you think we can put the lights on just a little bit since I am preaching I need to I need to see a few things you know my eyes are not getting any better ah and then there was light <laughs> that's good that's good that's good that's good we want to finish chapter 5 before we get into this very well known chapter of chapter 6 in the book of Joshua. But we want to finish this chapter and we begin at verse number 9, right to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal, Gilgal, unto this day. The children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, and even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn in the land of the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the same day. And the manna ceased. Mm. And the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn in the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Cana that year. Something new had happened. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went unto him and said unto him art thou for us or for our adversaries are you against us and he said no nay but as the captain of the host of the Lord I am now come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth 
and did worship and said unto him, Who saith my Lord unto his servant? What saith? What, what do you want me to do? And the captain of the Lord host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot, for the place wherein thy standeth is holy. And Joshua did Wow. We've been looking at Joshua and his campaign to go into the promised land. God told Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. Moses died on Mount Nebo. He was able to see the promised land, but he died. He wasn't permitted to enter in and he needed a successor. And Joshua was appointed to take the children of Israel into the promised land. The fathers, the men that originally were delivered from Egypt, all died out. All of them. All of them died. They had children in the wilderness for 40 years. These children made it into the promised land, but not the men and women that started off originally. They all died off except two only two of the originals, only two that were delivered out of Egypt, not their children. The children weren't born yet. People get confused about that. Only two of the original, two million or so, made it into the promised land. Only two. Can you fathom how incredible that is. Do you know how many people two million are? How do you think about that? And so now they enter into the promised land. Joshua is their leader. He's got the children with them, those that were born in the wilderness. And he's taken them into the promised land as God directed. It was a daunting task. Joshua in the beginning was a little bit fear. We're just giving you a bit of a backdrop. To summarize what we've learned thus far, Joshua, of course, had the daunting task of replacing Moses. <laughs> How many would like to replace Moses? Uh, not easy shoes to fit, to say the least. And so, obviously, Joshua was a little apprehensive, and God said to him in chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 8, He said, Look, Joshua, I want to encourage you that as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And that encouraged him. We mentioned that what God said to Joshua, God also says to us today. For Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise still exists today. And so now they're in this journey. This is a new day. It's a time of transition. Out with the old, in with the new. There's a new leader. They're going into a new land. A new direction. New leadership. New conflicts. Something has changed. And so now they're on this trip. They're in this voyage. This, this journey through this land. And God said to Joshua, you're going to encounter a lot of things. A lot of different obstacles will come your way. But I don't want you to fear. I'm with you. And so we looked at this trip, we looked at this journey, and we discovered that in this journey, 
it was a new day because it was a time of transition. This was a time of transition for Israel. And whenever there's a time of transition, you don't know what's ahead of you. Time of transition, you don't always have the facts. You, you're not sure what's going to happen. It's new. They've never been here before. They've never experienced what they're about to experience. And so we looked at several principles as they entered into the promised land that God was going to bring them through. So we learned and we said, first and foremost, it was a time of transition. This is a summary of what we learned in the last few weeks. And in a time of transition, we learned that there will always be tests. Whenever God's about to do something new in your life, in my life, you're going into a time of transition. Maybe you're going to have a new job. You just got married. Whatever it might be, you're in a time of transition. There will always be tests and trials. You haven't been there before. God is going to test you and strengthen you. And we know that we get strengthened through trials and tribulations. God was preparing them. We learned the other week that not only was there a transition, not only was there a time of testing, but there was also a time of trimming. God said, I want you to, to honor my covenant. And if you remember, they had to circumcise the males the men that were not circumcised in the wilderness. Remember, they had children. The fathers had children, and they weren't circumcised. And so now that they're in the promised land, God told Joshua to circumcise these young men. Some of them weren't so young. And it was in honor of the covenant. They had to maintain the covenant. And so we left off last week talking about the trimming. And we tried to apply it in our own lives. You know, as believers, as we come to Christ, we also have to have a personal trimming. What do you think it says in Hebrews chapter 12? What does it say? We are all in a race. We talked about the race last week. I like to talk about the race a lot. The race is a picture of our pilgrimage with God, our journey. We all have a journey. This race. The Bible speaks of this journey as a race. The Bible also speaks of this journey as a walk. And, and the author of Hebrews says, this race that we are experiencing that has been set before us, each race, each person has their own personal journey. Each person in this room has their own personal race. How do I know? Because the Bible says it has been set before you, established. God has prepared something for you. But he says that in this race, be careful how you run. He says you need to lay aside every weight that easily besets us or hinders us as we're running this race. In other words, there needs to be a trimming in our own lives. Some of us are trying to run this race with God and we are carrying excess baggage. There are things that we're doing that we're holding on to that's hindering us from running this race. And we talked about the importance of trimming, of laying certain things aside. Some of us are serving Christ, but we're still holding on to bitterness, still holding on to certain elements of pride and arrogance. These are things that can beset you. These are things that can hinder you from running this race. 
We talked about this last week. Israel needed a circumcision. We all need some kind of circumcision that we got to examine our hearts every so often and say, God, is there something in my life that needs to be trimmed, that needs to be removed? Is there something displeasing you? And we ended up last week with my fourth T, my fourth point. This is all while we are entering into this time of transition. The fourth point is the trip. They're on this trip, this spiritual safari. As Christians, the minute we come to Christ, we are now on a different trip. We are on a different pilgrimage. We're no longer living like before. Our destiny is different. Our walk is different. Our direction is different. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things now have become new. You're no longer walking like you used to walk. You're walking differently. On this trip, on this spiritual voyage, in this journey that we have with God, there are many things that will take place while you're walking with Him. Now understand, when they came out, the Hebrews, out of Egypt, they were physically circumcised. But what happened was, is they had no fruit, no fruit, and they died off. So, when they originally came out of Egypt, they were all circumcised, but that circumcision didn't make them men of holiness. And I want to expand on this because there are so many misconceptions even in the church today. Oh, if I can just get baptized, I'll be fine with God. Oh, if I can just go to church you know, and, 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 and attend the Bible studies, as good as that is, then I, I'm going to be all right with God. If I, if I can just do something, something external, then somehow I'm going to appease God or somehow I'm going to please God. Listen, friends, you can be baptized a hundred times. You can give millions of dollars to the purposes of God and still not please God because your motive is wrong. God's not looking for an external relationship with you. He was looking for an internal relationship with you. Some things that we do on the outside that look spiritual might be as carnal as it can possibly be because you don't see through the eyes of God. God sees things that you do not see, that I do not see. They had no fruit. They thought since they had this external covenant that they made with God that somehow that made them right, just like the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say because they thought they were righteous because of their pedigree. Their father was Abraham. You remember that? So what, you're coming to tell us about God, Jesus? Who do you think you are? Our father is Abraham. Of course we're going to heaven. Of course we please God. Of course we're the children of God. Our father is Abraham. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says, your father isn't Abraham. Oh, oh, oh. Your father is Abraham physically, yes, but spiritually, your father's the devil. <laughs> Can you imagine what these self 
righteous Pharisees thought when they heard Jesus say that? They thought they were good with God because of their pedigree, because of their circumcision, because they were, we'll use a, a, a New Testament, because they were baptized. Or because they, 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 they attended the membership class at Logos. That doesn't save you. It, we need to do that. Great things. All these things are good. Tithing and going to church and being, my goodness, we preach, we want. But that doesn't save you. Unless you've experienced something in here, it's all external. They thought since they had this external circumcision that they were okay. They're fine. No problem. People still think that today. And in verse 6, God allowed this trip to take place. So all the doubters, the naysayers, they all died in the wilderness. Why? There was no fruit. They were murmuring and complaining. They had no faith. It was all external. All external. It was an external veneer. Listen, brothers and sisters, you've heard me say this over and over again. Knowledge without experience means nothing. Knowledge without experience means nothing. When I was in Bible college, I knew some students. Man, they were a, a, a thousand times smarter than me. They knew the Bible better than me. But some of them didn't last. Didn't finish the year. Ended up doing terrible things. They had all the knowledge, but they didn't have a relationship with God. It was all external. External. Their faith was limited. Faith only on what they saw. They, they didn't have what Paul says, to walk by faith and not by sight. They were all physical. They were all carnal. They based everything on what they saw and what they felt. And they murmured and they complained. And so God waited and they lengthened the trip for 40 years because of their disobedience. But there was purpose for that because of their unfaithfulness. God was weeding them out, so to speak. And there was this process because why? You can't enter into the promised land, into a new element of faith without having a new mindset. A new attitude. You can't go through this door, this new door, with an old mindset. You can't put new wineskins on old wineskins, Jesus said. And there's many of us are trying to put old wineskins on new wineskins. It's just going to burst. You can't do that. Or new wineskins on old wine. It doesn't work. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a transformation. You can't do that. Only two entered in. Only two. Because the rest of them were still holding on to Egypt. The rest of them were still holding on to how it was in Egypt. Holding on to the leeks and the onions. And so they came out of Egypt physically, but they still had Egypt internally. You can be in the church and you can praise God, hallelujah. But when you look deep inside of your heart, there's still the world. 
I'm not saying you here personally, I'm speaking generically, generally. There still could be the world inside of you. And, and it's a problem. Because today, in today's church, in today's church, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I'm being honest with you. This is not to condemn. This, I'm just being honest. And when you have people who don't believe in Jesus tell you this, you know, you, you can fool maybe some of us, but you know, some of us, we can't fool the world. Because the world, look, they're full of corruption. They can smell corruption. They can smell hypocrisy. Let me tell you. And when you have people saying, but you know, pastor, I don't see much difference between some of the people that go to church, maybe your church, and some of the people that go to my church, my club, my disco. I don't see any difference. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to all of us. But we don't hear much about holiness today. Because if you do, they'll call you a legalist. When you preach against homosexuality, they'll call you homophobic. When you try to focus on God's word and speak the truth, people will mock you and people will, will say terrible things about you. But truth sounds like hate when you hate the truth. And so... These Hebrews that were delivered out of Egypt still had Egypt in them. Because, my friends, if you can't affect people by your life or by the Christ in you, then make sure that they don't infect you. See, it's easy for us to be infected. And that's why Paul says, be careful, bad company corrupts morals. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. We've got to be careful who we hang around with, who we associate with. You see, what was happening is that it wasn't look, two out of two million. Everybody influenced everybody. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is, that, is that all of Israel fed off each other's. They fed off each other's complainings and their murmurings and they rubbed off on each other and they got infected they weren't willing to take a stand and today we see a lot of people compromising people today in the church are not willing to take a stand we've become so engulfed in becoming socially and politically correct that we lost our power to influence we've lost our power to influence and so when the church is trying to be inclusive and trying to reach out to the world and try to set standards that will be palatable so the world won't be offended, we have compromised and lowered our standards and our message is not as strong and we have candy-coated the truth. Please don't candy-coat the truth. If you candy-coat the truth, people will never be set free. It's the truth that sets people free. And so God is saying, don't let Egypt, don't let your past destroy or hinder your future. They kept looking back. Moses, 
What is this manna you want to give us here? We don't like it. We're bored of it. At least when we were in Egypt, we ate. Really? We ate. We had. Have you forgotten, O Israel, that you were slaves? You were slaves. You were beaten. But you're remembering the leeks and the onions. Isn't that interesting? See, when you have that spirit, that murmuring, complaining spirit, you, 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 all you do is, is focus in on what the negative is. And you, but you forget. You forget on really what the reality is. You forget. That's what happens. You get blinded to the truth. Their attitude was wrong. And when your attitude was wrong, you lose perspective. You can't see properly. Attitude will always determine your altitude. And their attitude was wrong because you can't walk through a new door with an old attitude. God wanted to bring them into another level, but they're still holding on to their past. Many of us are still married to our past. Oh, I remember how it used to be. Oh, friends, don't be a prisoner of your past. You're not defined by your past. You're prepared by your past. You're not a residence anymore. It's just a reference. It's not a... Look, look, your past is just really... It's, it's a life lesson of what we need to learn now. All those experiences you had in Egypt, all those experiences God has brought you through has purpose if you can allow those experiences to be lessons. Even some of the friends and the people that God brings in your life, some of those people that you might even despise, God has them cross your path to show you and to teach you something. I know you may not like them, but there's a reason why you have a neighbor like that. There's a reason why that person that you work with is the way he is. God has purpose for everything we do. That's why the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Every step is ordered. And there's a reason you are where you are today. And if you focus on the leeks and the onions, you will not see what God is doing in your life. If you're complaining and murmuring wherever you are, you will not see what God is doing in your life. You will not understand why you will go, you're going through the things that you're going through if you continue to remember the leeks and continue to murmur and complain. You will not understand. You will not see what God wants you to see. So we have the transition. We have the test. We have the trimming. And we have this trip. This process that we are on. And in this process, God is refining us. That's why it's taking a long time for some of you. God wants to deal with you. And he's using this trip, this process to speak to you. Number five. In this time of transition, in this time that, of journey that we are on with Christ, we also see...
that the timing is important. There's a timing for certain things. There's certain things that you will experience, that you want to experience, that hasn't happened yet because of timing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God hath made everything beautiful in his time. There's always an appointed time. God is in control. Everything is God filtered. Esther was appointed for such a time as this. For such a time as this is always something that you and I will go through. God has set everything before you. Your race has been set before you. The life that you are in, where you are, everything, God is the one who's leading you and guiding you. Keep saying, the steps of a right, every step, all the good steps, God is in control of your life. He's leading you and directing you like he did the children of Israel. Sometimes he leads you in the place that you don't want to be. Doesn't mean that God hasn't led you there. Sometimes he brings you upon the currents of life, brings you upon the shores, and these shores are not the places that you want to be, but God has you there for a reason. When you become a child of God, you're saying, Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done in my life. When you become a child of God, you say, Lord, it's not my plan, it's your plan. When you become a child of God, you write your plans in pencil and you give God the eraser. And you say, God, let your will be done in my life. So lead me where you want me to go. Just give me ears to hear you and give me a heart to obey you. See, that's the attitude that God is looking for in your life and in my life. But many times we fight against God. We murmur against God. We murmur against Moses. We murmur against... Because, because we don't like the manna. Uh, we don't like the fact that we're in a desert. It, 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 it's, just, it's just too sunny. It's too hot. If I can just find some shade. And there's so many things that we can complain about as we are on this journey. So many things. That we can find difficulty to accept on this journey. Events that we go through. Experiences. Getting fired from your job. Losing a loved one. Losing a wife, a husband. So difficult to take. So difficult to embrace at times. And in this journey, we are going to experience things like this. And so how we respond to this is imperative and so important as we are on this journey. So important for our destiny. Because how we respond to these experiences will determine our destiny. Will determine where we're going. That's why the Israelites were disqualified in the wilderness. Because of their choices. Only two survived because of their choices. So important. God teaches us the best things in life take time. Some people in your life, some of your relationships, they're seasonal. These connections, they're seasonal. Some opportunities that come to you are seasonal. Certain appointments are seasonal and yet when we see the seasons change we think the blessings have ceased listen brothers and sisters God's timing look look we live through seasons 
There are four seasons in Canada in the natural realm, but there's also different seasons in the spiritual realm. We all go through different seasons in our lives. And sometimes when we go through a dry summer, we think God has, is disproved with us or something's wrong with us. It's just a different season. We can't always have summer. We can't always have winter. We can't always have spring where there's life and birth. There must be a winter where there's death and decay. Different seasons that we all go through. Sometimes when they change, we get confused. But it's not that. The blessings have ceased. It's that the seasons have changed. It's a new day. God wants to do something new in your life. You shall, you shall bring forth fruit in due season, David says. In due season, something's going to happen. You have to know when your season and what your season is. And you have to know when that season is over. And a lot of people struggle because they, they, they want to hold on to that season, but that season may be over. Maybe it's a new season that's come, and you're trying to hold on to the old season, and you're getting frustrated. The Israelites didn't understand it was a new season, and they didn't want to let go. You need to understand and need to discern what season you're in. Is God doing something different in my life? Is this a new day in my life? Is there a change that's coming? We all go through different seasons. And we need to have the discernment to know when to let go and when to persevere and hold on. And some of us are trying to hold on to a season that's over. Some of us are trying to let go of that season we're in because we remember how great it was 20 years ago. That season's over. It's a new day. Stop looking for the leeks and the onions, Israel. It's a new day. Stop, stop thinking the way it used to be. How better it was. Oh, I wish we can do this like we used to. Look, that might be great, but it's a new season. You need to understand that, brothers and sisters, God operates in seasons. Things change. The church is changing. Now hopefully it's changing for the better. The path of the just shineth more and more unto that perfect day. So we want it, but it's not always the case. But what I'm trying to say to you, we can't go back to Egypt and say, Oh, oh I wish we were doing things like we did when we were in Egypt. We're not in Egypt anymore. It's a new season. God is doing something. And you have to know when to hold it. You have to know when to fold it. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. God led them one day in this particular place. They stayed for three days. Then the cloud lifted. God led them over here to another place. They stayed five days. The cloud lifted, led them over here. They stayed one day. They moved as God led them. Three days here, five days there, 
a season over here, a season over there. Timing is so important. What is God doing? What's he saying? God said, look, the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten, verse 12, the corn and the children of Israel never ate manna again. That season was over. The manna had ceased. This was the timing of the Lord. I've struggled with these things. I've been praying all my life for certain things to happen. I haven't seen, seen I've seen it on occasion. And then when I saw something that I've been praying for, it didn't last. Just one season, one year. It was wonderful. But then I moved on. And I've said to myself, over, oh God, why can't we have that again? We all do that inadvertently at times. Nothing wrong with wanting things in a certain way, but we need to understand that God is doing something different. Oh, Israel. The seasons have changed. The manna has ceased. I want to teach you something that you would not learn if the manna kept coming from heaven. If the manna kept coming, this heavenly welfare system, then if I didn't stop it, you would have continued to look to the manna. You would continue to walk in that state of dependency, which is good. God wants us to depend on it. But, but, but I want to bring you into another level spiritually. And for me to do that, I've got to cease. That season will be over. I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm doing it to help you. I want you to grow up. I want you to mature. I want you to put away those spiritual pacifiers. I want you to put away those spiritual canes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a place where you're going to learn to walk on your feet. It's a new season where, where you become a co-worker with me. It's a new season where you become co-laborers with me. Something different. It's going to take place. That season is over. Now watch this. There is no help behind Joshua. Nor was there any help above them. The manna had ceased. So God says, go forward, Joshua. And that's exactly what he did. He's going forward. He's going forward. He's going forward. He knows his mission. God is directing him. And that principle stays with us. We must go forward, brothers and sisters. When you know that the manna has ceased, when things are changing, what do we do? Do we go back to Egypt? No, no, no. We go forward. God's got something new. God's got something fresh. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to complain. It's a new season. What is God saying? God's saying, I'm doing something new. If you've got eyes to see, if you've got ears to hear, just go forward. Keep your eyes on me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what to do. 
I need to cross over. I got to cross over. Some of us are too stuck. We're just stuck. We're stuck in Kadesh Barnea. He wants us to step up. Egypt is behind us. We need to cross over and press on. This manna has ceased. God's got something fresh for us. God's got something new. He wants to take you higher. He wants to take you deeper. The manna has stopped because he wants to take you somewhere. Take you somewhere much further, much deeper. You know, when I was a boy, I remember my dad used to take me on the swings. I was, what, six years old, seven years old, maybe. And uh, I was, I tell you, I was a wild kid. And, and my father, you know, very gently would push the swing, you know, here I am. I said, I didn't like it. Daddy, higher, higher. You know, I wanted to go higher, as high as possible. Guess what? It's exactly what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take you higher, like eagles that soar above the clouds. There's too many Christians, they're still fishing in the shallows. Too many Christians on the swings, if you will, just kind of going a little bit here and a little. They're not going higher. Push me, but not too far. You know, I get a little scared, you know. But uh, he wants to take you far higher. He wants to take you deeper. He wants to take you further. This is what God wanted to do with Israel. 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 It brings us to chapter 5, verse 13. We come into our text, and we want to close with these verses. Verses 13 to the end of the chapter. Joshua has a revelation. He has an encounter. God has him exactly where he wants him. The timing. The timing has come now for something special to take place, Joshua. I've trimmed. You're in transition. This trip... I, I did a lot of trimming. Now the timing is here. Joshua is going to have an encounter with God. I want to take you higher, Joshua. I want you to see something you haven't seen yet, Joshua. And so he meets what he thinks is a man. The Bible says in verse 13, it says, it came to pass, Joshua was by Jericho, near Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and there he stood a man. He thought it was a man. It was a tall man. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know if it was a spiritual man. Didn't know if it was a carnal man. Didn't know if he was an enemy, a friend. But the Bible tells us he was an angel. Most scholars believe this was a theophany. The Greek word theo, God, the phony, appearance. We have seen many theophanies in the Old Testament where Jesus appears as a man. We've seen angels coming on the earth, appearing like men. We've seen this in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham's in his tent in the plains. He's in the desert. And three men come to him and spoke to him. He didn't fully understand who they were in the beginning. And they had something to eat together. And they give him a word of what is going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. He had an encounter with these angels. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. This was not a... This was the Lord himself wrestling with 
Jacob. This was not a man. This was an angelic host wrestling. This was a theophany wrestling. And we've seen many. Daniel had a theophany. And so on. We see this throughout Scripture. Joshua stands at this great threshold. Behind him is the Jordan. In front of him is Jericho. And as untrained as the Israelites were in battle, and as Joshua was, Joshua is not walking and thinking thoughts of what and how he's going to fight these enemies. He wasn't thinking about that because God told him that I'm going to be with you. And all of a sudden, here, he confronts this, this man who is an angel. He comes to Joshua. And we see that this being is identified as the Lord of hosts. Oh, this is a powerful angel. The Lord of hosts. The Bible speaks of this. The Bible, this is the biblical name of the Lord of battle. The battle name of the Lord. This is the battle name of the Lord. And we see this in Psalm 34 and Exodus 14. This is more than just a little angel. There's no doubt that this is Jesus coming to Joshua in this human, it seemed like a human form, but it was not. This was not a mere human being. Now friends, while we don't see these angels physically, we know they are here. They are the unseen hosts of God. The Bible speaks a lot about angels. He gives his angels charge over us. Psalm 91, Psalm 34, and Hebrews. Hebrews says, be careful. Chapter 13, verse number 2. The Bible says, be careful because some of you have entertained strangers, people you've never seen before. Like Joshua meets this man. He thinks he's just a man. We we have met people in our lives. We've been on the bus, or we've been walking down the street, or we're at work, or we're going somewhere, and we just so happen to meet somebody. We, we think it's just, it's just a man, it's just a woman, but, but you see, you don't realize that that person could be an angel. You don't know that. And that's why the Bible says, be careful how you deal with strangers, because some of you have, have entertained angels, and you weren't even aware of it. You weren't even aware of it. Any one of us here. I'll tell you, this has happened to me. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And we see this in Scripture. We see these angelic hosts. We see them everywhere. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 6 that these angels, these beings are in high places. You can't see them. If God would open our eyes to see the spirit realm, it will shock you. It will amaze you. You would be dumbfounded to see them. They're, they're there, but you can't see them. One of the great stories I share every so often, especially during Thanksgiving, I didn't share it this year. Maybe some of you remember this. I've said this, I think, three years ago. There's a woman by the name of Ivy. She lived in Philadelphia. True story. And she had two sons. Her husband left her. And uh, she was struggling big time. She had no money. Her husband was cruel. He didn't give her any financial support. And she was struggling. She lived in a time where... Women didn't really 
have many job opportunities. She was a single mother, but it was during Thanksgiving. And she wanted to honor Thanksgiving. She loved the Lord. She was a true believer. She had two children, and she wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving. And she took her two children to the park where they had a, a barbecue place, and she had only two hot dogs. Didn't even have any mustard to put on the hot dogs. But she wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving with her sons. So she takes her sons, sons eating two hot dogs, no ketchup, no mustard, boys are hungry and they she prayed and worshiped the Lord and gave thanks they played a few games and they decided to go back home as they were going back home they she lived in this complex she's walking up the stairs and all of a sudden this woman comes out of apartment number five. Oh, hi Ivy that's her real name by the way Ivy hi Ivy hi she didn't want to be rude. She'd never met her before. She says, hi. Would you like to come for dinner today? I've made something for you and your sons. I'd be so honored if you would come for dinner today. Well, she got a little shy. And her sons were starving. Oh, please, mom. Yes, yes. And she said, okay, we'll, we'll come. Two or three hours later, she goes downstairs for dinner. She knocks on the door. She is welcomed by Ivy beautiful apartment she was it was unbelievable for she brought out the turkey and she, she and she was shocked because she made the potatoes the way ivy likes them and nobody knew that she liked potatoes made this way and she was shocked that the potatoes were made in a certain way that only she knew she never told anybody she likes potatoes like this and the boys they ate they were so full all the trimmings you can imagine potatoes and corn and uh, there was also sweet potatoes, all things that you, and they had pumpkin pie. Oh, I love that. I can, I can, I can, I'll take some pumpkin pie right there. I'll tell you, yeah, by the way, uh, I'm always open for pumpkin pie if anybody, no, but they had pumpkin pie and, and they had so much leftover, leftovers. Oh, God's a God of the leftovers, isn't he? And she put them in a container and she gave it to Ivy and her son and they were so excited. They went home. Well, the next day, she wanted to bring the containers back to this wonderful woman. We'll call her Donna. So she went to, back to Donna's house to make sure that she gives back the containers. So she knocks on the door. There's no answer. This was the very next day, about like 9 in the morning. No answer. Now, this Donna was an elderly woman. She looked at least... 70, figured she'd be home. And she peered in through the window. The curtains were barely drawn. And she couldn't believe it. It was empty, no furniture, D dusty. What? She said, I lost my mind. She went to the manager's apartment, apartment two, knocked on the door. She said, excuse me, his name was Bill. She said, excuse me, Bill, uh, uh, I had dinner last night in apartment five, Donna's house, and we had turkey and this and trimmings and we had cranberry sauce and, and all potatoes the way I liked them and I don't know how she even knew. And, and, and we had all this, this great food 
And, and I, I'm knocking on her door, and I want to return her goods, and, and, and there's nobody here. Well, did she, she couldn't have left so quickly. The manager looked at Ivy and said, Ivy, uh, are you okay? She was, yeah, I'm fine. Says there hasn't been anybody in this apartment for the last six months. What? what? There hasn't been anybody in this apartment for the last six months. went back to her apartment she fell on her face she began to praise the Lord she looked as human as can be this was an angel my brothers and said that God sent only God knew what she liked and made the potatoes the way she liked them see God can do things like this you see while she was suffering she was giving thanks to God while her two boys were starving she was giving thanks to God there's no mustard to put on the hot dog she was giving thanks to God. God honors people who are grateful. God honors those who trust Him. Be careful of the strangers you meet. Hebrews tells us some of you have entertained angels unaware. And so now the stage is set for Joshua to have this encounter. We see a very similar encounter with Jacob and this angel where God touched him and transformed Jacob into an Israel. A similar encounter from a different angle. I want to share some principles that begin with C that will help us understand what took place with this encounter. I want you to notice, number one, the condition of this revelation, the condition of this encounter. Now, as soon as they were established in Gilgal, we just read it, Joshua makes two memorials, one in Jordan, another a memorial in Gilgal to remember God's grace. Remember, the memorials were given and made so, so that God said in Joshua 4, when your children ask you, what is the reason for this altar, this memorial? You tell them it's a memorial unto God, what he did for us. And Joshua obeyed God and he did it already twice in Gilgal and Jordan. And, and, and what's interesting, Gilgal in the Hebrew means rolled away interesting remember a lot of these names have spiritual significance Jacob's name he was a deceiver for 40 years he lived as a deceiver but he had an encounter with God and God changed him from a Jacob into an Israel a prince with God and Joshua is going to have something take place in his own personal life that he wasn't aware of that he needed you know some of us who are leaders some of us who might know the Lord for years and some of us who might even say we are spiritual some of us don't realize that we still need some changing to do would you think that Joshua needed to change some things I wouldn't think so but God did oh, you stay with me oh we're gonna go deeper this morning you, you, you watch this now who would say that Joshua needed something to change in him? You know, brothers, we've never arrived when it comes to the things of God. That's why pride is so ugly. Why would we be proud? Why do we have such pride? Pride for what? Everything we have comes from God. 
Every gift we have comes from God. Even the breath we breathe comes from God. In Him we live and move and have our being. There's not, listen, there's nothing in us that can really please God. Do you know that? Because we are born in sin. We are, not, we are sinners saved by grace. Now, I don't believe in worm theology. But what I'm trying to say is that really who you are, what you are, is all because of God. Now, here we have the Passover. We just read it. They experienced the Passover. They had a circumcision. What we see Joshua doing, and things look great. He's obeying God in everything he asked him to do. He made a memorial. He celebrated the Passover three times, not just once. He had a circumcision of the males coming out of Egypt. Everything God told Joshua to do, he obeyed. And God did something as a result of that. God did something powerful. But there was a problem. As difficult as it was to get them physically out of Egypt, it was more difficult to get Egypt out of them. And God had to go through all these things to deal with the Hebrew people. And that principle applies to you and me. We get saved, but that's where we start. There are many Christians who are saved, but still enslaved to Egypt. We're saved, but still enslaved to certain habits that we haven't been able to let go of. This is a great concern for God. Because He's more concerned about you, your heart, your character more, more than anything else. Now watch this. My first principle is that we notice the condition of this revelation. Everything God told Joshua, he obeyed. Constant obedience. And what happens when you constantly obey? There is a manifestation. There is an encounter. This resulted in God's presence. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, He said that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth, showing Himself strong to those whose hearts are committed to Him. God will show Himself strong to those who are committed to Him. Let me repeat that again. The Bible says, it declares emphatically, that God will reveal Himself, will show Himself strong, that's the term, to those whose hearts are committed to Him. That's a promise. Did not Jesus say in John 14, 21, if you love me, you will what? You will do my commandments. You will obey me. And what will I do? I will reveal myself unto you. I will manifest. It's the same thing. Obedience brings revelation. Obedience brings manifestation. Obedience brings us to an encounter with God. Joshua's going to have an encounter. And so Joshua receives a revelation. Here we see the condition. He was obedient. The reason why he gets a revelation because he was obedient to God and God wants to take him deeper. Number two, 
This also takes courage. The courage of God's revelation. By jo See, verse 13 tells us that Joshua was near Jericho. This was a major obstacle in his path. Stay with me. There was no way Joshua could bypass Jericho. It was too big. It was too vast. And this could have brought a lot of fear. Jer Jericho was the place in the land of Canaan. They were strong, tough. They had the latest technology. In fact, the walls were so wide that they would have chariot races on top of the walls. And you think Israel's going to defeat an army like this? How are we going to defeat them, Lord? We're just a small bunch. No experience. No training. The Bible says he was near Jericho. And he knew that Jericho was their destination. Ah, my friend, but listen carefully. Whenever God has a great purpose in your life, he'll always place a great problem in front of it peace for you. If he's got a great purpose in your life, you can be sure a great problem will arise in front of you. You think because God has a, his hand on you and you got a purpose and you got destiny that you're just going to have smooth sailing? Do you not know? Uh, you know, a mariner will tell you, a mariner, uh, smooth sailing make very poor mariners. God has his hand on your life, you can be sure there's going to be some kind of obstacles that will arise. Think the devil's happy? He wants to do whatever he can to distract you. And you've heard me say over and over again, if the devil isn't fighting against you, then maybe he's walking with you. There will be obstacles. God will allow it for a reason. A problem. Jericho was a huge problem. Fear could have risen in his heart. These were monsters. They were strong. These Canaanites didn't know anything about Israel. Really, they heard about certain things. But they never had a war like this. No weapons. These Israelites had nothing on them. They couldn't fight them conventionally. So this was a problem. Lord, we don't have sword. We don't have equipment. And you want us to fight this enemy? With what? See, God didn't tell him the plan yet. You see, friends, when you're on this journey, God doesn't always give you the details. He wants to make sure that you trust him along the way. And at the right time, he'll tell you the time, the right time, the right time, the right time. Because if he told you before, maybe you couldn't handle it and you'd run away. That's just for free. You can take it or leave it. Timing. So he doesn't tell Joshua, but Joshua nonetheless knows that this isn't going to be easy and it's going to take a lot of faith, a lot of courage. Can you imagine if you were Joshua, you had no weapons and you know you got to go into Jericho and fight this monstrosity of a wall, of a people, of a... You'd you'd be petrified. You see, we've read the story. We, we know what happened. But Joshua didn't know at the time. 
Interesting, you know, brothers and sisters, when Israel was in the wilderness, they never faced giants. Did you know that? When Israel was in the wilderness, they never faced giants. They only faced giants. Only when they got into the promised land, they encountered these giants. Isn't that interesting? Now you think about that. See, when you're walking with God, and you're in His path, walking in His will, you're going to face some giants. You can be sure you will face some giants. It's not going to be easy. Don't anybody tell you it's going to be easy. The Christian walk is not an easy walk. I'm going to talk a lot about You don't want to miss Sunday's message. I'm just telling you now. You don't want to miss it. It's not an easy walk. It's going to take courage and faith. It's going to take spine, backbone. We got a lot of wishbone, but God's looking for backbone. Courage to face Jericho. Courage to face these giants. These giants in technology. These giants in warfare. Verse 13 says, as Joshua sees, he sees this man, this being. Now watch this now. He went to him. He sees him as a man, so he wasn't really that scared. He sees this sword that's drawn, wasn't really afraid. Remember, God told him, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. Trust me. And that's what happens. See, when you're in the will of God, and you know it deep within your heart, when you know the heart of God, you can trust the hand of God. I want to say that again. When you know the heart of God, you can trust the hand of God. When you can't trace Him, you can still trust Him. So Joshua encounters this man and he asks him a question. Now, when God gives us a promise, there's usually something to do in response to that promise. Do you remember when Jesus saw the disciples, they were fishing, but they caught nothing? And what did he say to the disciples? Cast your nets. Now, you don't think Jesus could have brought the fish and they could have caught the fish right there in the nets? He says, I want you to take your nets and you need to do something. You cast the nets. He told the children of Israel, you pick up the manna. There are times that God wants us to do something. That's right. We are co-workers with Him. Remember that. God wants us to get involved, to involve His people in the process. You see, God can't steer a parked car. Even God can't do it. He wants to steer you as you're moving. He wants to direct you. Get out of that boat and begin to walk. You get out walking and God will steer you. That's what the Apostle Paul did in Acts 16. When God called... 
the, uh, uh, the apostle Paul, he didn't know where to go. And when you come to Acts 16, he wasn't sure what to do. Imagine that. The great apostle Paul he had all kinds of revelation. But when he first got saved and God was calling him to minister, he wasn't sure what God was calling him to do. And so Paul says, all right, listen, listen, I know I'm called to preach. I don't know where to go. I'm just going to step out in faith. So he takes a boat, ends up going to Messiah. Messiah. And God spoke, no, no, I don't want you to go to Messiah. Ends up going to Bethania. He goes to Bethania. Read it for yourselves, please. He says, no, this is not where God wants me to go. And finally, as he is, he is out, stepping out of the boat, as he's getting involved, as he's getting his feet wet, as he's preaching the gospel, trying to do what God's called him to do, God then gives him a revelation and tells him, tells him, Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. See, friends, sometimes when you're seeking God's will, you know, you don't have to stay in the corner and, and fold your hands and say, okay, God, just speak to me right here. You know, sometimes you just, just get out and start walking by faith and God's going to lead you. God's going to direct you. Just step out. Say, God, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to trust you. Livingston once said he was asked after he went to Africa. Right back in the day where Africa, there had hardly any roads in this particular, nothing, nothing was shaped and formed. And, and it was so hard for him to get around. He said, well, how in the world did you survive Livingston? How did you get around? How did you know what to do? Where to go? He says, well, I just stepped out. I did, and, and you know, I, I, I didn't know where to go and I didn't know what to do, but I, but, but I know my God. And God led him. You see, friends, as you step out, God's going to lead you. As you're stepping out, you're saying, God, I may not understand things, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to lead me. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. And so Joshua is carrying out his duty. And in the process, watch this. This is so significant. I'm going to repeat it again. As Joshua is carrying out his duty in that process, God speaks to him. Now notice the first thing Joshua does when he sees what he thought was a man, he asks him this question, are you with us? Are you against us? He wasn't sure. Listen, I'll say it again. There are times in your journey, God will do something that you don't recognize. There are times in this journey, yet you're in transition. God is trimming the timing. He's directing. He's leading. But as, as he's leading, you might face a situation where you won't recognize what God is doing. You won't understand what God is doing. Listen, oh Christian friend, there are times that you will not understand what God is doing in your life at this particular season. You know what he did years ago, but that season is over. You're in a new season, and you're not sure what God is doing. That's okay. Doesn't mean you're not spiritual. Doesn't mean there's no, that there's sin in your life. You just don't see it. You know how many times God's people didn't see what God was doing? Did the, did the disciples recognize Jesus when he was walking in this? They thought he was a ghost. Mary didn't recognize Jesus after his resurrection. She thought he was a gardener until he spoke to her and he recognized his voice. He said, oh, Rabboni, Rabboni. Peter didn't recognize that Jesus was the Christ. In Luke chapter 5, when he first addresses Jesus, he calls him captain in the Greek. Master, captain. But then when he saw who Jesus was, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinner. O Lord, Kyrios. He calls him Lord. 
He didn't recognize him. He thought he was just a captain. There are times you will not recognize what God is doing. You don't stop there. You persevere. There's a reason why you don't see it right now, but you will see it. God's doing something. God will open your eyes. We need to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Is, this your, is there something I need to see here? You're going through a trial. You're going through a difficult situation. You don't see it. You don't understand it. You, Lord, open my eyes. Is there something you want me to learn? Is there something you want me to see through this? You don't understand it. Your family's breaking up. All hell is breaking loose. There's no way. This doesn't make sense. I, I, I don't recognize that this is from God. But I don't see. But God, open my eyes. Let me see what you're trying to tell me, Lord. Job didn't understand what God was doing. And in the 42nd chapter, verse number 6, Job declares one of the greatest statements. He said, Lord, I have seen, I have heard you with the hearing of my ear. I, I heard, I, I, a lot of things I understood. I, I knew a lot about you, Lord. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of things. I've read a lot of things. And, but now... Mine eyes have seen. After all the hell I've gone through, I didn't see it before, but now I see it. I, I, you understand what I'm talking about. You could be a Job. Job was the most righteous man, but he didn't see what God was doing till the end. He doesn't recognize that this is the host of heaven. So he asks, are you with us or are you against us? He says, neither. <laughs> what does this mean, neither? Joshua, you want me to be on your side? Is that, is that what it is? Remember, <laughs> he, he didn't understand. He didn't, this is, who is this person? This is the Lord of hosts. And he says, no. No, Joshua, I'm not on your side. I'm not against you, but I'm not on your side. What do you mean? I'm a man of God. What do you mean you're not on my side? How can... If you're the Lord of hosts, you're, you're, an, you're an angel. You, you come from God. You're, you're, and you're, you're telling me now, after what God's told me, that you're not on my side? Can I bring it home? Oh Lord, I've been serving you for so many years. Lord, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've cried out to you, and I, I, and the answer to my prayer had to, it has to come this way, Lord. It doesn't make any sense. It has to be like this. And God says, no, it's not like this. And you're all confused. You don't understand. Joshua's confused. What do you mean you're not? On my side. I don't understand. He says, no, Joshua, you need to get on my side. <laughs> what? You need to get on my side. That's how we know it's a theophany. That's how we know God is speaking. Joshua, it's not your side I need to get on. You need to get on my side. But I, I am. Am I not on your side, Lord? 
Are you really Joshua? Stay with me, brothers. We're going deeper. See, Joshua, this is not your battle. Oh, oh, pastor, this is not your church. You're acting as if this is your church, that you own this church. I know pastors who think the pews are his. Even the people are his. Listen, you do not belong to Pastor Dino. That's a stench. You belong to God. You're not my people. We are in certain levels, yes. But you're God's people. You belong to God. Oh, yes, I'm going to... This is my ministry. No, 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 no. This is not your ministry. This is God's ministry. But I've got a plan. This is my plan. This is my vision. No, no, it's not your plan. And it's not... It's God. Who gave it to you? You just carry it. Don't take ownership. Don't take ownership of the church. Don't take ownership of your ministry. Don't take ownership of this. And that's why we have a hard time to let go because we have taken ownership. Pastors who stay 30 years in the church because they have nowhere to go, they've taken ownership. And God was calling them out of there years ago, but they wouldn't go because. This is my church. Nobody's coming in here because I'm the founder of this church. I see ministries. So-and-so ministries. Never put your name beside ministries. It's God's ministry. It's not so-and-so's ministry. It's not... Joshua, maybe you forgot whose battle it was. Oh, I know, it doesn't, you're not able to see that with the naked eye. I know it seemed that Joshua had it all together, and he did for the most part. But there was one thing. Joshua thought that this was his own personal battle now. That this is my fight. My ministry, my church, my plan. I've seen this over and over. People using the guard. But God said to me, God, I am God. And people use, anybody know how many people use the God card? How do you fight with that? Well, you know, Pastor, God told me. How do you, how do you, God told you? Or how do you dispute that? God told you or do you think God told you? God told you or do you think God told you? Very rarely will you hear me, hear me say, God told me. I will say it. But I'm saying cautiously, carefully, rarely, because I don't want to use the God card. Many people use the God card to strengthen their position. You don't want to do this, but you see, God told me. So you better do it. Did God tell you, or you're just using God's name to strengthen your personal cause? Sometimes, brothers and sisters, when God calls us to a ministry, if we're not careful, we're going to think it's our own personal ministry. 
we lose focus. You know how many pastors have backslidden because they thought just that? And they got to their head. They became proud and arrogant, and God had to remove them. Oh, you don't want to miss Sunday. Do you know how many people have gone astray because they thought that now I've become invincible because it's, look at me, my ministry, my, look how big my church is. Oh, boy, look at me. Oh, you won't say it. You won't admit it, but it's happening. All in the name of ministry. All in the name of what God is doing. How do you think, does anybody know how King Uzziah died? Do I have a Bible scholar in this house? Second Chronicles chapter 26. Does anybody know what happened to King Uzziah? Anybody in this house? Leprosy. Good. How did it happen? Yes. God blessed him, made him famous even. He even invented things. Read it for yourselves. He got so well known. But you see, when God blesses you, you need to be careful because when God blesses you, if you're not careful, you're going to think you did it by yourself. And what did the Bible say in verse 15? And God lifted his hand from Uzziah because of his arrogance. He was marvelously helped till he became strong. Strong what? Till he became arrogant. God lifted him and he became even more arrogant. And now he wants to act like a priest. He was king. You don't want to be a priest if you... That's no, no. no. You don't touch the priest's office, Mr. King. And he did. He was so arrogant. And God turned him into a leper. He lost everything. Disqualified. My church! My temple! My ministry! My anointing! Look, my friends, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. We must align ourselves to His will, what He wants, God's will, not my will, God's will. David had to learn that when he brought back the ark and Uzzah died. David was all, couldn't believe it. He brings the ark back on the cart of the Philistines. And David was so excited, and he wants to bring it back to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the ark falls, and Uzzah wants to stop it. And Uzzah dies, and David doesn't believe it, couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. And after a period of time, he does some research, and he realizes, wait a minute, I carried the ark the wrong way. He realizes he's got to put it through the holes and carry, have the priests carry it. David tried to do God's will, man's way. Never attempt to do God's will, man's way. How many people are trying to do that? Try to do the things of the Spirit in the way of the flesh. And so, Pastor, let's get brighter lights in the church. Maybe they, people will get... Why don't we fix our pews and make it more attractive so people can come in? You know what? Our carpet's ugly. Let's make it beautiful. Let's, let's attract me. Let's get nice chandeliers. Let's get a nice atmosphere. Let's, let's, even, let's even get a fog machine and, and have some atmosphere and some fog. Yeah, make some kind of dramatic presence. Let's get a nice coffee shop in the entrance, in the lobby. And let's, let's have some donuts and some coffee. Let's, let's try to attract people. Let's try to do things. Let's, let's try to manipulate. Let's try to entice people. 
Listen, if the Holy Spirit can draw them, your donuts won't. <laughs> That's also for free. <laughs> and your linguine won't. I'm sorry, sister. But as much as I love it, they won't do it. She makes a great linguine. But you go to churches today, and that's what you see. Nice building, beautiful this. Nice that. Let's try to attract them the way the world attracts them. And you know, for, and in some cases it's working. Some of the biggest churches in our nation are just like that. And people are coming in and they're comfortable. They sit in the pews. There's no conviction in these churches. They're comfortable. So they sit down, they relax, they have a nice cup of coffee, and a cup of tea. Thank you so much. Have a cup of tea, relax. Yeah. Go in the lobby, let's have a nice lunch. Everything's nice. Nice, beautiful church. So, how was church? Oh, it was beautiful. How was the word? Oh, I'm so blessed. Listen, I've been to these churches. When I was on vacation for the summer, I, I can't stay away from church. So I went to visit some of these churches. I won't name them. I couldn't believe it. And they're huge. All of them had something in common. Cafeterias in the lobby, nice food, lights, a great sound system. It's dark and you come, it's ambient. Nice, like you're in a theater. You know, oh. Exciting. All kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying that's like that in every church, but you'll find that common in some of these huge mega churches. They're trying to attract people with the things of the world. And it's working for some. In the natural realm, it's working for some people. I got to close. Give me a few more minutes. The Bible tells us that God worketh in us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. He worketh in us. God worketh in us to do His will and His pleasure. That's why God's working in you, my friend. To do His will. He's not working in you so you can have a big ministry. So you can look good. He's working in you both to do and to do His will and to work and to do His pleasure. What He desires of you. Remember, God doesn't exist for you. You exist for Him. God is not just a convenience. He really isn't. He's a necessity for you and for me. All right. Let's wrap it up. Three things happens to Joshua with this encounter. As he meets this angel, I'm going to give you three W's and we close. The first thing Joshua does is he begins to worship. He falls down. He recognizes that this is not a man, that this is the Lord of hosts. When you recognize who Jesus is, when you recognize God for who he is, what will you do? You're going to fall down and worship him. What happened to John on the Isle of Patmos in chapter 1 when he saw Jesus? What happened to him? Does anybody know? He fell down and worshipped him. Listen. 
When you're in the presence of God, your flesh, your flesh cannot hide you. Your flesh just falls down and worships Him. It's spiritual instinct. It's going to happen automatically. When you truly encounter God's presence. You see this throughout all of Scripture. When Peter recognized it was Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I, I, when Isaiah was in the presence of God, the angels cried out, holy, holy. What did he say? He said, God, I'm undone. He worships the Lord and he recognizes his own sinfulness. This was the prophet Isaiah. He worships him. Number two, he comes to see his own wickedness. Verse 14, Joshua sees him, he falls and he worships. And then he has this confrontation of his own personal sin, his own wickedness. The Bible says in verse 15, take off your shoes now. Just like it took place with Moses when he encountered God in the burning bush. Take off your shoes. The same thing that Moses, John, take off your shoes. It's an act of humility. It's an act of brokenness. When you are in the presence of God, there's brokenness. Take off your shoes. It's a picture of the, these shoes you're no longer going to use these shoes to walk. You, it's your bare feet. You go before God. You, you, you're naked before His presence. There's a nakedness. God sees right through you. Take off your shoes. For this place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so as he bowed down to worship Him. He's recognizing his own sinfulness. Whenever you see God, you, if you are in any way righteous to any degree or open to God in any degree, you will see your own spiritual condition. Pride will melt before the presence of a mighty God. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 97. It says the mountains melt like wax in the presence of God. The mountains of pride, the mountain of arrogance, it melts in the presence of a God. That you encounter, when you encounter God, there's going to be a change. What happened to Jacob when he encountered God? He changed from a Jacob to an Israel. Whenever you truly encounter God, there will be a change. You will never be the same again. Joshua didn't know it, but he needed to change something. He needed to recognize, Joshua, this is not your battle. It's not about you. And for some of you, may not fully grasp it unless you're a leader. These are one of the big pitfalls that leaders go through. They think somehow that they're in indispensable. They think somehow that they're invincible because God used them so powerfully. That's what happened to Jimmy Swaggart. That's what happened to Jim Baker. And for you who do not know who Jimmy Swaggart is or Jim Baker, Google. You'll find out. They thought they were invincible. Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. Jim Baker's big vision of having this euphoria on earth, this great big 
amusement park and fun and games in the name of God. What? What? And he came down. They thought it was all about themselves. And I'm not ashamed to say it because it's true. The ministries are not, it's not about you. God will use you and bless you, but it's not about you. It's not about me. So he has this encounter. He worships. He realizes his own personal wickedness. And now he's ready. God has dealt with him. God has spoken to him. You know, David did the very same thing. I want to close with something. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 15, chapter 15, verse 25 and 31. We'll find out that David did the very same thing. Listen, friends, if you want God to enable you, then you must first ask God to disable you. I'm going to say that again. If you want God to enable you, you must first ask God to disable you. So when you're being disabled, it's at that place that God can enable. And now, Joshua, you're about to go into Jericho, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enable you in a way you can't even imagine. You see the timing? God did this just before Joshua goes into his greatest battle. This is the greatest battle that Joshua will ever fight, will ever see, will ever experience. God had to prepare his heart. Remember, preparation before participation. Prepare his heart for this. That's why the angel came at this time. God wanted to deal with him. It was important. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 25 to 35. You have that, Josh? Okay, I'll get it here. This is very important. Second Samuel chapter 15. Here we go. Verse 25. Let's begin. Actually, let's, let's go at verse 30. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olives. Watch this now. Very important. And wept as he went up and had his head covered. And what? Went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man his head. And they went up weeping as they went up. Wow. And one told David, saying, Anathophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Anathophel unto foolishness. David went up Mount of Olives. We were there barefoot. What's that mean? Humility, brokenness, nakedness. God, I don't have any shoes to bring me up. You be my shoe. God, I'm naked. You be my coat. God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm naked. I long for you. I need you, Lord. I'm walking up this mountain. I got nothing to be able to grip it, but I'm going to walk up barefoot. I'm declaring to you that I am nothing without you. And didn't Jesus say in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. So take off your shoes, my friend. Begin to climb. What a scripture we have. 
What a text. What a story. You see, Joshua forgot the war, that this was God's war. Joshua must take orders from the angel. You see, Joshua, you're not in charge. God doesn't come to take sides, Joshua. God doesn't come to take sides, Joshua. He comes to take over. He comes to take over. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Ye cannot serve two masters at the same time. He is not only our Savior, but He is our Lord. If He's not valued above all, then He's not valued at all. Take off your shoes, my dear friends. I got to ask you, have you seen the Lord? I'm not talking about a physical theophany. Have you seen the Lord like Job after all of his experiences? After all those trials, he had an inner revelation. Have you seen the Lord like Jacob? Have you seen the Lord? I'm not talking about a physical encounter. I'm talking about seeing God, perhaps in the spirit, in your heart. Something has happened. You've been transformed like Job, like Jacob, like Josh. Yeah. And what happened? God has blessed you. God will lead you. God will direct you. But not until you take off your shoes. God wants to get you ready. But God won't direct you if you're holding on to pride. God won't direct you if you're holding on to arrogance God will do whatever he can to break that chain God will do whatever he can to break us but he wants to break us so he can bless us he doesn't want to break us to hurt us he wants to break us to help us and he will strip us of our dignity so he can bring us into our destiny my friend God is concerned about your heart more than anything else Concerned about your walk. It's not until you experience this confrontation, this encounter, that you'll be able to deal with the people at Jericho. Because when Jericho stands before you and you haven't had this encounter, my friend, you will fall. You can't fight the devil in your own strength. I'll give you some life lessons as we close. Chapter 5. Number one, stop regretting the past. Stop looking back. That's what Israel did. Stop looking back, my friends. Stop being a prisoner of your past. Stop dating your past. Some of us are still married to our past. It's a new day. Go forward. Learn from your past. Stop looking. The Israelites were looking back at Egypt. Number two, stop worrying about the future. Stop worrying about these giants. Stop worrying about how strong the, 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 the Canaanites are. Stop worrying about how massive they are. David didn't worry about Goliath. He didn't worry about that giant. That giant was small compared to a great big God. 
Stop worrying about all these obstacles. Stop worrying about the future. I know people, oh, but what if this and what about that? If God's leading you, if God's there, he's going to, listen, listen, if God's giving you vision, he'll give you provision. If God is leading you somewhere, he'll bring you there. Stop worrying. But what if and how come and what about? Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his right and all the God will take care of you. God will lead you. I've got a plan for you. I know your thoughts for you. I've got to give you an expected end. I, I've got, I'm giving you hope. Just don't worry about the future. Trust in me. But listen, listen, if you can trust him, if you know his heart, you can trust his hand. Number three, stop looking for your happiness in other people or other things. Oh, Moses, I don't want manna. I want my, I want my leeks. I want my leeks. I want my onions. Never appreciate what God is doing. Complaining and murmuring. Murmuring, complaining about what, what's happening in your life and complaining, I don't like her, I don't like my husband's there, my, my aunt, my... My goodness. What is murmuring? You, you must know by now because I've been saying it a thousand. What is murmuring? It's what? The devil's worship. Can't find happiness through things, a person, a husband, a wife. Yeah, it's good. Your husband's wonderful. Your wife, you need it. Yeah, but you can't find fulfillment in that mate. That's the problem. Some people are looking for fulfillment in a husband. And, they may, and when things go wrong, you, 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 you freak out. You go, because God never was meant for you to be fulfilled by a human. Only God can meet the need of your soul. Leeks and onions. All right, I'll give you the leeks and onions, but that won't change your heart. Oh, if only I can do it. If only I had it. If only. Oh, yeah, and God gives it to you. And what happens? You choke on the quail. That's what happened to the Israelites. We want meat. We're not happy with this, this, this manna. God gave them quail. They couldn't even digest it. Stop looking for your happiness and fulfillment with things, people. Number four, stop underestimating the power of God in your life, my friends. Oh, friends, if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. He will make a way. He will make a way. He will make a way. God's by, because Jericho is there. Because, because the obstacles are before you. You're on this journey. You come across Jericho. You come across an Amalekite. You come across a Jebusite. You come across those at Ai. As we're soon going to discover. All these things. You're in this journey. And you're scratching. Well, where is God? I don't understand. Uh, why is Jericho? Why are these enemies? Why these giants are too big? Look at me. I'm so small. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the, the swords and the army. I don't have the ability. I don't understand why I'm going. Why did this happen to me? Why did my husband? How come my daughter? How come all these things are coming against me? Well, God, listen to me, friends. 
Never underestimate the power of God and what he's going to do in your life and what you're going to be brought through. God has ordered your steps. He sees what you're going through. You think your, your circumstances surprise him? You think when you're praying, you think God doesn't know what you're going He sees you. Every tear that falls from your eyes, he knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows where you live. He made you. You don't think he knows what you're going through? Stop underestimating the power of God. Listen, my friend. God will make a way. He'll turn it around. Ruth went from working in the field as a peasant, as an outcast, to owning that field. My God. God made a way. He is great and he is mighty. There's nothing he cannot do. Oh, my friends, remember in your weakest moment, the strongest version of you is waiting to be born. God wants to do something powerful. And so please don't use your pain. Don't use your circumstances and as, as an excuse to fall back. No, no, no. Don't let the enemy tell you that your losses, uh, your losses sound much louder than your victories. They don't. Uh, don't make an excuse. Uh, no, no, I'm going forward. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but keep going forward. Yeah, I, I, I might feel weak and broke, but you know what? I'm still going to go forward. I may have lost some things, but I'm going forward. I might feel worn out and discouraged, but I'm going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through that storm, I'm going to praise Him. Through that pain, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him when I can't see Him, because I know what God has said. He gave me a promise that I'm going to be with you to the very end. And in this time of transition... I'm going to hold on to that truth. I don't care if Jericho's before me. I don't care if Goliath is before me. It doesn't matter. Goliath is coming down. Jericho's coming down. All the enemies of God are coming down. Because it's not my battle. It's God's battle. I'm just going to do what he's called me to do. His promises are yes. God breaks chains, not promises. Don't give up. Keep going forward. This is a new day for a lot of us. We're coming into the year 2024. A lot of changes, and there will continue to be changes in this church and around us. Are you just going to give up? Because some of these changes you might not like. You think I was happy with COVID? COVID is one of the toughest times in my entire life. As a pastor, as a father, and as a Christian. But we persevered through it. We lost a lot of people, but we persevered through it. Had some problems at home, persevered through it. There's going to be all kinds of obstacles in your journey, my friend. But you can't look back. Because he's done so much. He's invested a lot in you. So don't look back, my friend. There's nothing in Egypt. 
Put your hand on the plow and keep going forward. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's all stand together, please. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.